Okay, so we have this week Shabbat Shira. We read Az Yashir. Uh, this is uh, with regard to the splitting of the sea at Yamsuf. So all night long, the sea is split. We come to the morning. The morning after the sea is split. So the, the you know I remember the movie. You know, right? They Charlton Heston, right? They cross through the sea. They come to the other side, and what happens? Vayet Moshe et Yado. So the pasuk says Moshe, he holds out his hand al hayam on the sea. Vayashov haam lifnot boker, and the water returned at the morning to its place. Laetano to its place, its normal state. And Mitzrayim, they they're going through. They hurled into the sea. So. The Gemara writes, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, what does it mean that the water went back to its original form, to its strength? He says that, that God made an agreement with the water, that the water at the time of creation would agree at this time to separate. That was one of the conditions at creation, that God made a condition with the water that you're going to separate later on. What does that mean? He made a condition with the water that it's going to separate. And then the Orachayim, one of the rabbis, asks a question. He says, if this stipulation was that the sea would split, why doesn't this verse appear at the beginning when the sea is splitting? Why does this verse only appear when the sea is coming back together? It should have appeared at the beginning. He's saying, okay, why is the sea splitting? Because God made a deal with the sea when he created it that it would split. Why is it telling us now that there was a deal only when the sea is coming back together? So I pulled the Orach Hayim. He goes on for pages and pages. And I summed it up. And it says, basically, Hashem made a deal with the water that it would heed the decree of righteous people. A sadiq, a righteous person, could decree over nature. And nature would obey the righteous person. That was the deal God made with nature at creation. We see three times splitting the sea. What's the three times? Moshe here, Moses at the Yamsuf, Joshua at the Jordan, and the Gemara tells us the story of Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair at the Ganai River, that the river splits for him. So he says, although the sea returned to its natural state, it only did so on the condition that it would continue to fulfill this stipulation whenever necessary. That it wasn't a one-time deal. The Gemara, that the sea would split, for that, that, that nature would, would suspend itself for the righteous. Really for the Torah or the representative of the Torah. The Gemara in Pesachim says that just as difficult as splitting of the sea is earning a living. Earning a living is just as difficult as splitting of the sea. Pesachim 118a. You're going to take the paper. Okay. It says in the Gemara also in Sotah, it tells us that to find a wife or to find a husband, to find a spouse, is also as difficult as the splitting of the sea. Those are the two things that are compared to how difficult it is to split the sea. Those are two difficult things. So apparently... For a man to merit the proper spouse, or I guess a woman to merit the proper spouse, and to merit sustenance, that person has to invoke, according to what he's writing, 
some condition that relates to Kiryat Yamsuf, to the splitting of the sea. For this reason, Hashem stipulated that the sea had to return, obligating it to fulfill the original request whenever someone needs sustenance or a spouse. Now I'm puzzled because I read this and I say, but what's the condition? What was the condition of Kiryat Yamsuf? What's the condition that it has to respect? And how do we relate this to a, in a practical way to our own lives? So I go back to the parasha. So it says, Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. So now the people come to the sea and they see the Egyptians are closing in behind them. They actually see Amin Mino, the angel of the Egyptians, attacking them. They're freaked out. In front of them is the sea. Behind them is an army. There's nowhere to turn. What do we do? So Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. So Moshe starts to pray. What's Moses going to do? Please help me. God says, Matizak Alai. Why are, you, why are you yelling at me? Why are you calling out to me? Daber el b'nei Israel, speak to the children of Israel, vayisa'u, and they should go. What? There's an ocean in front of them. What do you mean go? And then he tells Moses, Vata now, harem et matecha, raise your staff, and place your arm over the sea, and the sea's going to split, and b'nei Israel are going to go, betochayam, into the sea, and only once they're in the sea will the sea become yabasha, dry. Speak to the children of Israel. Rashi says there's nothing for them to do but to go into the sea. And they'll be protected by the merits of their ancestors. They should have faith and they should do what they have to do. The Gemara in Sota 37a. At the time Moshe was prolonging his prayer, God said to him, my children are drowning, or they're going to drown. And you're praying? So Moses said to God, but what do you want me to do? And God said to him, tell them to go. And that's it. And lift up your hand, tell them to go. Now the, what happens? No one wants to go into the water, because there's only water. So the, the, the Gemara tells us that Nachshon ben Aminadav, the head of the tribe of Judah, just jumped into the sea. And he went in and is up to his feet and he's up to his knees and he's up to his waist and he's up to his chest like the boa constrictor song and he's up to his neck and and all of a sudden it's going into his mouth and the water splits. It only split once he went in as far as he could go. So Hashem appears appears based on what the Gemara is writing to be testing the faith of the people. Are they willing to sacrifice their lives on his behalf? Are they willing to jump into the water? Because jumping into the water represents a truer test of their devotion than the previous willingness to depart Egypt and go from slavery to freedom. So last week we spoke about what were their tests? First, they took the Egyptian god, which was a sheep, and they tied it to their bed, afraid the Egyptians are going to kill them. And then a few days later, they kill this, and not only do they kill it, they give themselves a brit milah, and not only that, they take the blood of both, and they put the blood on the door in front of the Egyptians. So that's a big risk. It says, nope, that wasn't enough. 
What did they have to do? They had to be willing to risk their lives and step into the sea. And only once they stepped into the sea, into the sea, then it's Yabasha. And you see it, it's exactly in the words of, of it says, they went into the sea and then it became dry land. So how do we understand this? Why is it necessary to risk their lives and jump into the sea in order for the sea to split? Isn't God saying to them, don't worry people, I'm going to take care of you, I make miracles, I bring you out of Egypt. Why do they have to just risk their lives to step into the water? So the Arizal writes in Sha'ar HaKavanot, he teaches that the Galut Mitzrayim was not only a physical, material exile, he says it, it was primarily a spiritual exile. And he calls it Galut Hadat. And this is why I didn't understand what does that mean, Galut Hadat? The exile of knowledge. The element of knowledge in the universe, according to the Arizal, is in exile. As such, there was an opposition to the knowledge and recognition of holiness. So I ask myself, what is, what is Galut Hadat? Ah, so because of the sin of the tree of knowledge, we end up having the knowledge goes into exile, and we have to recover the knowledge. We have to recover the knowledge. This is the idea of the knowledge now. The whole idea here is da'at. So now, trying to understand, you know that Chabad, we use Chokhmah, Bina, and da'at. And that's how you get the word Chabad. Chokhmah is, is knowledge of one kind, Bina is understanding, and Da'at is some other form of knowledge. In the Sifirot, we generally don't have Da'at. We only have Chokhmah and Bina. So I decide now to go to see what they would, what the, what they would write. So I went to the Toldot Yaakov Yosef and to see what he writes. He writes, In the name of the Arizal, based on the Baal Shem Tov, Shamati Mimori, I heard from my teacher, Ki inyan galut mitzrayim haya, the idea of the exile of Egypt was hadat, that the knowledge was lacking by them, that they didn't understand that there was a single creator of the universe who renews and revitalizes creation constantly. So this was absent. Knowledge of God, specifically. Moshe appears, and through the plagues and through the miracles, the existence of a single creator became universal public knowledge. He continues, he says that although Da'at came out of exile during the exodus from Mitzrayim, he says, but the redemption of Da'at, of knowledge, is incomplete, and there's still an element of Da'at that's lacking through all the exiles, especially in the exile that we're in now. So he says, we are lacking something called Da'at. So now I need to still understand, what does he mean? What is Da'at that the Arizal is talking about? It says, It says, It says, Once the Mashiach is going to come, Once the Messiah comes, once the world changes, what's going to be? In the future world, knowledge, Da'at, it's using this word specifically, Da'at Hashem, knowledge of God, will fill the world like water. So something's going to be, this knowledge has to do with it. The, the, elsewhere, he explains in Pikudeh, that we see that Paro, 
when Moses comes to Parah and says, he says, who sent you? He says, God sent me. What is Parah's answer? Lo yadati et Hashem. I have no knowledge, again, this word da'at, of God. There's no knowledge of God. That's what's lacking. And you're going to see this concept of da'at comes up again and again in Yetziah Mitzrayim. His response alludes to the fact that Paror represents the dark side or the klipa, opposite da'at. He's the dark side. He's the Darth Vader versus the force with regard to knowledge. So now, Yisrael's redemption from Galut Mitzrayim involves the acquisition of Da'at for Kiddushah. For this reason, this word Da'at, knowledge, is mentioned again and again during the Exodus. In Shemot 6 it says, Vidatem, you will know, again, Da'at, knowledge, Ki ani Hashem elokechem, that I am God, your God. Hamotzi Echem who takes you out from the burdens of Mitzrayim. It says also in chapter 10, in order for you to tell in the ears of your children and your grandchildren that I took you out of Egypt and my miracles that I placed there, vidatem, that you should know, again, da'at, knowledge, ki ani Hashem, that I am God. We keep hearing this word da'at, 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 da'at. So that means da'at is more than what we're seeing as a word just representing that knowledge. Furthermore, we see the Hashem says not only are Bnei Israel going to know the the Yadu Mitzrayim, Egypt will know Ki Ani Hashem that I am God. The Malbim connects this from the beginning of Shemot with the splitting of the sea. He says that's when the true knowledge happens. So something happens in the sea that gives knowledge. Or this thing called Da'at, which we have to understand on, on a spiritual level. The Rashbam writes, Egypt will know that I'm the ruler or the master of the whole universe. This will include all the people who until now refuse to acknowledge that there's such a God. They will have Da'at of God, knowledge of God. Mitzrayim will know that I am Hashem. And it says, Ki amar Hashem bezot teda ki ani Hashem. Because God said, with this, through this miracle, they will know that I am God. Again, Da'at. So what does Galut Da'at signify? Again, my question goes back. According to the Toldot Yaakov Yosef, it's crucial to understand this concept. For the overall Geulah, the overall redemption, that it depends on an individual and a national Geulah, an individual and a national redemption. He says, what does that mean? An individual redemption and a national Geulah, national redemption. Says the Pasuk in Tehilim says that Kirava el nafshi Geulah, before one prays for an overall Geulah, before you know, we say we want the Messiah to come and change the world, he says a person has to have his own personal redemption from wherever he is, from the Egypt he's locked in. And this is the meaning of galut, galut hadat, because it applies to an individual person. So the individual person is lacking this connection to da'at, to understanding. And in order for him to truly be free, he has to be able to come to this. The B'nai Yisachar writes, he says, he says that Hashem created man with ten aspects, which are divided into two distinct paths. There's the intellect in the brain 
and the character traits in the heart. The intellect consists of the first three attributes, chokhmah, we'll call wisdom, knowledge, bina, understanding, and da'at, wisdom, or the other way around. He's going to explain each one. The character traits are the rest of the sefirot, chesed, gvura, tiferet, netzachod, yisod, machut. We'll explain a little more. It's man's task to ensure that the three intellectual aspects in the brain control the seven character traits of the heart. So we often say that we wear the tefillin because we have the tefillin on the head that my head, my thoughts, should control my arm, which is my action. So he's saying that this really is telling us that the person has to be controlled not by his heart or his, his emotions, he has to be controlled by his intellect. Not allowing the emotions to do what they want to run rampant. All the more so, we have to be very careful because the emotions or the desires can cause a person to do wrong in this world. Your desire makes you do something you shouldn't do. He says they should be employed in the service of God. Chesed, which is kindness, to love God. Givurah, to fear and revere God. Tiferet, pride in God. Netzach, overcoming the evil inclination. Hod, to thank God. Yisod, to connect with Hashem. Machut, to allow Hashem to reign over a person's 248 limbs and 365 sinews. So he takes all the sefirot and he shows how all, each of the sefirot connects to us on, on a level. So they were supposed to have accomplished that before they left? They should have accomplished that before they left. But maybe they left too soon. So one of the interesting things is it says, Vahi Beshalach Paro. The Gemara in Megillah says, anytime we have the word Vahi, we have to be worried because it's either Vahaya or Vahi. Vahi Bimea Hashverosh, Vahi Bimea Shofeta Shofetim. In the time of Ahashverosh, in the time of the judges, we have, we have, anytime we have the word Vahi, we have to be worried because it could signify woe, a negativity. What's the negativity? Maybe they really weren't ready to leave. Even I think, you know, if, I'm not sure if I read this right, I was thinking it. You know, like when it says vai. That's what it is, vai hai. Whoa. Right, even without the hey, you know, like by yeah. gash, by uh, you know, by your feet. Oh, I don't all know. All those parshas, to my mind, like they were, uh, uh, had a uh, seriously negativity. But the Gemara there talks specifically about the word vaihi. It says usually it's negative, sometimes not. It's like the vai. Vai. Vai, this is happening, you know? Oh, vai, vai, vai. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So to help understand this, he says he characterizes the nature of the three aspects of the intellect known as chokhmah, bina, and dat. He says, what is each of them? But if, if they left too soon, they, they, they were spiraling into a, the lowest level of Tumah. That's why they had to leave. That's why they had to leave. Right. But, but they, hadn't, they hadn't achieved the level of Bina. That, that but, was, but if we left them a minute longer, it would have been over. So, so even though they weren't the really ready, rock in the hard place. we had to get them out. So he says, what's Chochmah? Chochmah is we're going to translate wisdom. This is the initial thought or idea. Before a person even considers how to accomplish a particular feat. For example, when a person considers building a house, the initial conscious idea is part of chokhmah. It's termed chokhmah because the word chokhmah in Hebrew can be broken down to 
koach ma, the strength of a thing's potential. So the idea, the beginning idea is chokhmah. This is the wisdom. The second step is bina. This is the process of ideation. The idea coming to fruition. Or not fruition, just developing. Inferring one thing from another. In other words, after I have a thought to build the house, I have to have the next thought of how to build the house. Okay? So I'm thinking about the construction. How many rooms, where it's going to go, what's the windows going to be. I'm weighing all my options, I'm weighing all my possibilities, but I didn't arrive at a final decision. He says, Da'at is taking the initial idea, the, uh, the thoughts of how I want to produce, and taking it and putting it in to the level where it could become actualized. This is the final absolute decision to build the house based on the results of his deliberations during the Chokhmah and Binah. The, fa- the, the phase is referred to Da'at based on the first time we see Da'at in the Torah is when Adam knew Eve his wife. What does it mean he knew Eve his wife? He consummated their relationship. So you take the idea, you take how to do it and you have to go forward with it. So this, is the, this signifies a union and a connection. To execute a plan and make it a ra- reality, a person must commit fully to his decision. For if he's not committed to his plan and his decisions, he's going to be overwhelmed with doubts how to proceed. We see that Dad is not a new or original thought. It's the culmination of the two previous phrases. It's the decision arrived at after... Having the idea and contemplating and weighing the alternatives using Chochmah and Binah, it's significant because it allows that which exists in theory to become reality. That is crucial. Based on this, the Bnei Yisrael addresses the subject of Galut Hadat, the exile of knowledge. Would you say the, the blueprint is in the Da'at? The blueprint is... No, the no, the 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 going ahead with the the, the what's it called the groundbreaking. The groundbreaking. The taking that shovel and sticking it in the ground. Just the first step of actualizing what I want to do. The idea to build is chokhmah. The blueprint is bina because I take my knowledge in order to create the blueprint, and then the actual is the beginning of the actualization. The willingness to go forward, the hitting the button, the touching the switch. That's the dot. That's not one of the, I would think, you know, you mentioned three and seven, mind and action. I would think that that hitting the button is the first of the action. The beginning of the action. But you have to, it's, it's the commitment to, it's the commitment to stick the shovel in the ground before I actually move any dirt. I'm saying it's sticking the shovel in the ground without doing the work, right? It's the commitment to do it. He says, what happened? He says, certainly... B'nai Yisrael comprehended on the levels of Chochmah and Binah that Hashem is the one and only God on those levels. Nevertheless, they were incapable of committing fully to this belief and establishing it as a reality. It didn't achieve the status of Dad of Kedushah. Consequently, they sank to this low level. So they understood there's a God. They understood the concept, but they couldn't commit to doing it. How do we see that they couldn't commit? We see it in the whole Exodus. This is what happened. 
Amar Abaye, Abaye says, one who possesses knowledge, possesses everything. One who lacks knowledge has nothing. One who acquires knowledge does not want for anything. One who has not acquired knowledge, what has he acquired? In other words, a person who lacks the knowledge to decide what the proper course of action to take is, is is incapable of accomplishing anything. For he will always be overcome with doubts. You could have, you know, sometimes they say, how come the, the smartest guy in the world isn't the wealthiest guy? Because he may have the idea, but he doesn't. Go ahead and do it. Comes up with every reason why not to do it often, the very smart person. On practical terms, the Gemara tells us, Rabbi Alexandri, he would finish praying, and when he would finish praying, he would say, Master of the universe, it's revealed and known to you that we want to do your will. What prevents us, he uses these terms, the yeast in the dough, that refers to, that's where we get the idea of the chametz on Pesach, and our subjugation to foreign regimes. He says, may it be your will to protect us and allow us to go forward. He says, what does that mean that the Gemara is telling us? What are those two things? He says, it teaches us that everyone really wants to fulfill God's will. Yet, when he proceeds to make the eternal, internal desire reality, the yeast in the dough, which is my evil inclination, intervenes. Occasionally, we have intervention from foreign nations who rule us while we're in exile. Apropos, he addresses this, and, he, and we see in Tehillim, it says, shel amecha. This is a prayer that we say. It says, The pregnant women of your nation, Bet Israel, he says, what should happen? Tatsilin, they should, they should uh, be successful and they should not miscarry. Huh? How does that relate? He says, what this means is that the thought of a person to serve God is analogous to a pregnancy. The person requires tremendous assistance from above to foil the evil inclination in its efforts to prevent the person's desire from coming to fruition and becoming an actuality. We see with regard to Noah, the most important generations of a, or the uh, offspring of the righteous are their deeds. It says this is the same way. We try to do something, but we get stopped along the way. And we don't do it. We have the idea to do it. We know how to do it. And then when it comes to committing, we hold back. So the main offspring of a righteous person is that he's willing to go ahead and do the good deed. Not only do they have good intentions, but they bear fruit and become a reality. Therefore we pray, may the pregnant women of your people, what does that mean? That means you have the idea, that's the pregnancy. But the idea is you have to give birth to the idea. You have to do something with it and not miscarry it because you could put all the effort in and then it becomes nothing. So it's a hard analogy because if we think of pregnancy, it's completely in Hashem's hands. Mm. It's not. Because you, what, you, know, you have to stay healthy. And but he's saying it's just as an analogy that, you know, that the idea is the pregnancy and you have to let the idea come through and not let the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, Force a miscarriage. That's what the the you know, I was saying. Says so, so. So he says. Thus, we could begin to understand what's galut hadad. Says every generation has an uncertainty and indecisiveness in the service of God. This is how the evil inclination works. 
It introduces doubt. That's the main tool of our evil inclination. Introducing doubt and uncertainty into our heart and mind. Why are you learning this instead of that? Why are you serving God in this way, not that way? In this manner, it confuses man to the point that he has no idea how to act and proceed. So we pray every single day, You give man da'at. This is this idea. You give it to him. The one who gives us the da'at. So we're saying to God, He's giving us the da'at. What do we have to do? We have to actualize it. We have the tools. So what happens now is we go back to God and Moses at the sea. God turns to Moses and says, Why are you screaming at me? Speak to the people. Let them go. He says, what does it mean? It says, Pharaoh brought, it says, Pharaoh brought the, the, came there, right? And then the people got scared. And then Moses said, you know, they turned to Moses, the people, and they say, Moses, what did you bring us here for? Aren't there graves in Egypt? What are we doing here? He says, didn't we tell you in Egypt we never wanted to leave? But Moses said to the people, don't worry, stand here. God's going to save you today. How are these people who saw every single miracle, who actually, it says in the verse before, they see God in the cloud, they see God in the fire. They went through every miracle, they came out, they just saw things you can't even imagine, right? And now they're saying that nothing's going to happen, they're going to get killed. How can they have this, this, how can you have this blatant discrepancy that they have this incredible level of faith they do this, that, and the other thing. And then on the other hand, they say, we should have never left. Let's go back to Egypt. Where does it come from? He says, how do they say, aren't there graves in Egypt? How do they say, didn't we say we should never have left? It seems incongruous with this high level of belief that they had to have at this point. Based on what we learned, the explanation is this. Prior to the miracle of Kriyat Yamsuf, prior to the splitting of the sea, Yisrael had not yet completely left the Galut Hadat, the exile of knowledge. Therefore, although they believed in God, they were still not completely committed to this belief. They weren't committed beyond the shadow of a doubt. So on the one hand, they cry out to God, please save us. On the other hand, they're overcome by this exile of Da'at, this lack of knowledge, wondering if they should have just stayed in Egypt in the first place. So what happens is they become wishy-washy, wishy-washy, because what can they do? They can't commit. He says, therefore, in order to complete the exodus from Galut Hadad, from the exile of the, of the Da'at, of the knowledge, God says to Moses, why are you screaming at me? Tell them to go! Speak to B'nai Israel, tell them to go. It says, Sefer Chinuch says something. It says, what does it mean that we have so many mitzvot that say, Zecher letziat mitzrayim? That you do this mitzvah in order to remember leaving Egypt. He says, Da, ki adam nif'al, this is the, probably one of the most unbelievable things to understand about human nature. Da, ki adam nif'al kefi pe'ulotav. A man is influenced by his actions. If you have a job as an executioner, and every day you're hanging someone or chopping his head off, eventually you're going to become a disgusting person. Because that's what you're doing day in and day out. If you have a child that's stingy and cheap and doesn't like to share, what should you do? Make them give out dessert every day. 
for dinner, after dinner. Because if they do something again and again, if they don't like to give, when you write the check to Siddhaka, have them sit and write the check with you. Have them do an action that relates. And the first one, so Sefer Chinuch is saying, Adam holech kefi A person goes according to his actions. Therefore, we have a well-known concept that if a person performs, this is, I'm reading from Sefer Achinuch in English, a good, Sefer Achinuch, we don't know, he writes an explanation of all the mitzvot to his son, it's all 613 mitzvot, he gives a reason for every one, as if he's writing from a father to a son, we don't know, it's in the Middle Ages, 11th, 12th century. It says, therefore, we have the well-known concept that if a person performs a good deed on a continual basis, even for the wrong reasons, he will eventually come to perform the deed for the proper reasons. We say in the Gemara, even though if it's not for the right reason, in the end it'll be for the right reason. This holds true, he says, even for a truly evil person. He says, unfortunately, the reverse is also true. If you do something again and again that's not good, it will change, not only will it make a habit of what you're doing, it will change you as a person to become bad. Additionally, the Rambam, Maimonides says, don't ever go to the extreme. He says, we should always be in the middle of the road. If a person becomes corrupted with any particular character trait, what does he have to do? Then what does he have to do? He has to go to the opposite extreme. He says, so if a person becomes stingy, he has to be very generous. If a person becomes uh, mean, he has to become very nice. He has to go to the opposite. He says, once the flaw has been corrected, then he returns to the middle. Because based on your actions is how you're going to act. He says, for example, if a person is haughty and arrogant, he should do things that are degrading and humiliating. He should sit in the least prestigious place. He should wear clothes that are degrading. He should continue to do these things until his arrogance goes away. Then he returns to the middle. He says, we can now appreciate why God commanded Moses. What do you want from me? Why are you crying to me? Tell B'nai Israel, go. Since their da'at, since their knowledge, since their ability to go was in exile, they couldn't transform their good intentions into reality. Therefore, God told Moses, command them to jump into the sea and they perform an act of self-sacrifice. Such an act required decisiveness and pure and simple faith that God would split the sea and save them. Since people's hearts are influenced by their actions, this act would lead them to begin serving God decisively with commitment, demonstrating the da'at, the knowledge of the holiness. He says, going further, he says, the Ga'on the Hafla explains. We write in Mishlei, With his knowledge, the depths were split. What does that mean? Through da'at, the sea was split, he's saying. We see clearly that the miracle of the splitting of the sea was done through Da'at. Just going to finish. And then this is really the bottom line for us. That without explanation, the miracle of Kriyat Yamsuf was able to be performed only because they jumped into the sea with the determination and Da'at in order to fulfill the wishes of Hashem. This also illuminates for us what the rabbis tell us. He says, Hayam, the, the, the water came back to its place in the morning. What does it mean it came back to its place? This is relevant to each and every person. He says, suppose a person decides to serve God, but he's thwarted by his evil inclination, preventing him from carrying out his good intentions. Even if at first class, 
even at first glance, it appears as if the task is too formidable, as if he is standing before the sea, he should not be frightened or discouraged. He should follow in the footsteps of the tribe of Judah. He should jump decisively without hesitation into the turbulent sea. If he does so, he's assured that the sea will abide by the original stipulation and part for Israel when necessary. What does that mean? He's saying that if you want to earn a living, then you got to be willing to just risk it and do it. If you want to find the proper spouse, you got to jump into it and be willing to do it. You can't just think and think and think. You have to take the, be willing to just say, if I'm doing it for the right reasons, I'm jumping in. He says, nothing will prevent a person from carrying out their good intentions and transforming them into reality. That's the gift that Hashem gives us the dot. But we have to act on the dot. The dot is still in someone in exile. While it's in exile, we have to make an extra effort to take the thought, to take the way to do it, and not only to ponder it, but to actually be willing to jump in and do it. The thing that prevents success, and the thing that is interesting, that how do we judge a person's success? We judge a person's success by who is their spouse and children? You know, what, what are their, who's your children? And how, and, and how you did in your life? Those things really, the, the rabbis are saying that those, why are we comparing those to the splitting of the sea? Because just like the only way for the sea to split is if we're willing to make a commitment and jump in, those things only work if we're willing to make a commitment and jump in. That's the, the idea of Da'at. So I think that's Chabad. You gotta. <laughs> we should give a Chabad class after. Good? Any questions? I thought, I thought it was for me, it was very interesting because I never understood the idea of Da'at. I never understood this connection of Chokhmah Binah to Da'at. I didn't understand. I understood the concept of Chokhmah. I understood Binah. But the actuality of Da'at is really willing to just jump in and do it. And that's what we have to do in life. Good? Sakhmamat.